The Athletic. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, the Dons ditch Derek, a ding-dong at Dingwall, and oh yeah, Rangers are champions. I'm Andrew Slavin, and alongside me on the podcast, true champion lineup, first senior producer at Motherwell, Laura Brannan, and senior advisor on all things tactical, JJ Bull from The Telegraph. How are we both? Hello, yeah. I'm JJ, I'm oh, the Winston's and Girls Laura, so you don't know. <laughs> uh, in before, case you were wondering who I was <laughs> yes there you go uh, before we uh, talk about some big things that happened at the weekend uh, a few thoughts on the fact that League 1 and 2 will be returning um, they kick off again on the 20th of March happy? definitely bring back all the football the more the merrier it's great um, I think <laughs> these teams have kind of the fans have suffered a wee bit recently the, they're watching fans of other clubs have a, a solace from this COVID nonsense and have an escape on a Saturday and they've kind of been suffering not having that so I think it's good to kind of get this back rolling again um, I, there's no reason why not they're, they're getting tested and mm-hmm. if they follow the same rules as everyone else there's no reason why Leagues 1 and 2 shouldn't be treated the same um, and I'm really pleased that these fans are kind of getting back to some sort of normality in that aspect mm-hmm. so looking forward to it we should say that your cat has been replaced by a lawnmower, uh, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> Not like for like, but yes. <laughs> the, the noise in the background is the motherwell groundsman cutting the grass. So, uh. no meowing this week. She's at home. <laughs> they can get like a like a, a bracket like featuring motherwell groundsman on the podcast this week. <laughs> you know, like a, like when you get a rapper in the middle of a pop song. Yeah, feet. Yeah. Uh, some of these teams have, have only played eight games um, of a planned 27 uh, games. Uh, is there any doubt that this, they're going to try and play all those 27? Because there's talk that they will try and reduce it um, to, to about 18. Do you think that's about right, JJ? I mean, I, I don't know. It's an awful lot of games. Some of them are going to be awful. I'll <laughs> be so tired. <laughs> like the end of five-a-side, 10 minutes to go, and you just start trying to do silly things. <laughs> Like pretending to dive and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know because I'm not part of the committee that's chosen it, so I can't give you an answer for that. But you'd think they'd want to try and... It makes sense to me that they had fewer games, just purely for a recovery between, between it, because then they've had that long off as well. It's going to take ages to get back into the swing of things. and then Yeah, they've had like alone. 10 weeks off, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, you think normally really the 10 long. weeks, and they've only really got three weeks to kind of get back into it again. I know obviously they've been doing work at home separately, but to come back into it and work as a team, they're going through another pre-season, essentially. So it is, it's a lot. But then they're, So the teams are wanting 22 games as opposed to 18, which is what the league are wanting. Ah. Um, just to kind of give that... I think everyone knows 27 is not possible. But the, the 18, they're arguing, is too short because that only gives them a, a few, like maybe a handful of games to get back into. It's not great for teams that are going for playoff positions and such like. 
Whereas the 22, they're proposing a, a split. They're creating this split similar to the Premiership um, and they're wanting to kind of add that little competitive edge to it um, and just kind of get a couple more games in. There's a lot of logistics there. Um, I can see arguments for and against it. I think the main argument from the SPFL is if there's any problems like um, COVID issues arise and games have to be called off, there isn't really any time to fit in any more fixtures because it is going to be just constant. It's going to be midweek, weekend, mm-hmm. on repeat constantly. And also the Scottish Cup's coming back as well now. So it's a lot to cram in before the date it has to finish in June because of the Euros. So well, there is one way they could do it. They could just have every game... Like they could, they could do like when you have a summer tournament and you play uh, like three games in a row, so like you play the first game against one team and then you, only forty five minutes a game. How about you know just change it up? <laughs> yeah, why not? Strange Put it times. in a cage. School wild. Uh, yeah, like the Nike advert. Yeah, go for yeah, it. exactly. There you go. Uh, well, later on, uh, Finn Marks is going to join us uh, to sing Stevie G's praises. But first up, a Don who's gone. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Six goals in eight appearances before today. Adam Rooney with a chance to win the cup for Aberdeen. And he does! And he does! The almost two decades of pain, hurt and at times ridicule at the hands of others is over for Aberdeen Football Club. Derek McInnes has guided them to silverware within a year of taking the job. Do you know what's um, especially good about that that clip, right? So you get this very, like, very occasionally in football games. If you listen to the actual pitch of the uh, of the crowd noise when that goal goes in, you can hear the kind of release. It's it's different to like a, a big goal at the end of a like a two 0 you know, a two one win in the last minute or something like that. There's just something slightly slightly higher to it. The same way <laughs> something like that Aguero goal. I remember just the noise being slightly higher. I remember uh, Robbie Fowler scored like a last-minute winner in the four-three against Newcastle once in the, in the English Premier League, and that was just like slightly higher. And that there, I mean, I was in the crowd there, but it, yeah, it's almost like <laughs> men rather than being like, yeah, they're screaming. Ah, <laughs> uh, brilliant! It's yeah, slightly ha- higher. Yeah. Happier times, uh, of course, for Derek McInnes, who Aberdeen announced on Monday night had had agreed to leave Petodre after eight years as manager. Um, and McInnes won Aberdeen's first silverware in 19 years with the League Cup in 2014. He also produced four second-place finishes. Uh, I, I think I kind of just need to throw it to you, JJ, because you've followed Aberdeen, you've interviewed uh, Derek McInnes recently. It was kind of always assumed that he would leave on his own terms, but are you, are you surprised? What's your, what's your immediate reaction to it? Yeah, I'm genuinely surprised that it happened now. Uh, even though the football is in awful, mm. truly, truly terrible, um, the run of form is very poor. Uh, weirdly, I mean, the last game he's in charge of, Aber- Aberdeen should have beaten Hamilton pretty comfortably, but strikers didn't take chances that were created. One of the first games they've actually created chances for a long time. But I think this has been coming for a little while, and I think the general consensus is that he would probably... Um, have one of those mutual terminations where it's not really mutual but it just suits everyone to have gone in the summer anyway and get someone else in that plays a different style of football like you've had this new training ground open you've got very ambitious chairman Dave Cormack who wants to be able to do big things I think a lot of fans thought this was going to happen in the summer uh, and to do it now they're on a big a lot of money apparently Doherty and, and, and McInnes so to have done it now especially with the amount of Uh, how difficult things are financially I think mutual termination seems like both parties have come to some sort of agreement and have Mm. agreed to go but I mean I was looking through 
Like McInnes will go down as one of the, the probably the best managers in Aberdeen's history. When he took them on, they were really mid-table. He replaced Craig Brown, and uh, won Aberdeen's first trophy. In, was it twenty years? I think it was nineteen. In th- nineteen years you know, in yeah. the thirteen fourteen uh, Scottish League Cup, and uh, that was a massive thing. But more than just the, the League Cup win, honestly, I think he, he changed the way the city feels about the club again. Mm. I remember, like, because I've lived out of Aberdeen for a while now, but I remember growing up, I didn't see that many Aberdeen tops going around, honestly. But when McInnes came in, there was a certain uh, pride people felt in the club. The standards seemed to get higher. People could, because people identify with their club and it kind of symbolises a lot of what people are. And, you know, and uh, I think it just, there was just better that you knew they could compete, uh, maybe not win, but they knew they could compete. And suddenly you started seeing kids wearing the Aberdeen tops. And this came at the same time as everything just seemed to get more professional and the way the club conducted itself in even things like social media and uh, everything that was done for the fans, just everything was better. But mm. I think the worry was maybe that he, he spent a bit too long there. And even though... I mean, a team maybe needs to be refreshed every three seasons or so. He's had to do it every single season and has done it for about eight years. <laughs> so it's not been ideal. Whenever he's built a good team, it's been disassembled. I mean, you look at the 2016-17 team, it's probably his best one. And the best players in that team, you had um, Graeme Shinney, uh, Shea Logan at his prime, he's not there anymore. Kenny McLean, who's now a proper he's, you know, Premier League level player. Ryan Christie, uh, Adam Rooney at his very best. Uh, Niall McGinn at his very best. Johnny Hayes at his very best. And Ryan Jack, who's probably been one of the best players in the league this season. And uh, replacing those players again and again has been a massive, massive task. And I think few managers could have done it as well as he has. But when you look at how the team has performed since then, it has been a steady decline. Like in 2016-17, I look at underlying and normal numbers. The XG was 73.6, actual goals of 74, and the um, XG against was 42 versus actual 35. So slight overperformance in what they let in and around about what they should do. That's a massive amount of goals, you know? 74 goals to score in one season in 16-17, finished second. But that has dipped every year since. So there's 56 goals in 17-18 that they scored. And, um, and this is when Rangers started to really threaten, you know, and, and started to get good. Uh, and possession share was around about 52%. So it's not, it's not really a possession-based team, nor is it a counter-attack one. It's somewhere in the middle. 2018-19, 57 goals. So, I mean, I'd say it's a decline, but it's, it's round about the same. It's just not great compared to the 74 of the high, but that was after rebuilding. And then you've got 2019-20s where things start to go wrong. And uh, sure enough, the season finished early because of this coronavirus thing. You may have heard of this in the news, but they uh, had a severe underperformance where they scored 40 goals versus an XG of 33. So it's actually an overperformance. What I mean is that the team is performing better than it should have done and it still wasn't doing that well. Mm. So there are other teams who are... I mean, I think they were fortunate to, to even finish this high <laughs> as they did. And this season, it, it has been dreadful. They cannot score, but they cannot create chances. The system clearly does not work. They play the same number of long balls as Ross County, but have the third highest possession, which doesn't make sense. Like, that, that doesn't make sense that you can hit the ball long so often and keep more of the ball. It's like they don't even need uh, a midfield. And that sort of ties into things like Aberdeen have played the third fewest through balls this season. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't, don't know if that means much to anyone. But it just implies that like everything is all from crosses, and they don't haven't really had strikers all season who can score from crosses. Now they do, but they're limiting all their crosses to players like Johnny Hayes. I think he has the most assists of the season. He's like three, 
Um, but he's passed his best. And I, someone said, I think it was on Twitter, someone proposed a theory to me that McInnes's best years coincided directly with when Niall McGinn and Johnny Hayes were best at crossing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, and I think that's funny. just about right. I was going to say, JJ, I mean, with regards to legacy and when people look back on McInnes uh, and his time at Aberdeen, yeah. it, it will, for the most part, be looked back on fondly. You know, if you think in 10 years' time, people will look back oh, yeah. and go, oh, McInnes was a great manager and he showed great loyalty to the club as well, particularly when his stock was so high, he turned down the likes of Sunderland and he famously turned down Rangers in 2017. And now it just kind of... It begs the question, who can come in and replace McInnes and make an even bigger impact that he maybe made when he first came in? We know that Paul Sheeran um, will take charge on an interim basis. He's supported by the likes of Barry Robson and Neil Simpson. But it is, to me, JJ, the, the, the standout name is there for all to see, Stephen Robinson, who left Motherwell earlier in this season. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, I mean, on a couple of things you just did there, I think even the people who have wanted have wanted McInnes out for about two, three seasons, even I mean, they they're not all daft, you know. They know that what McInnes did, and they will fully respect him for it. Um, there's a small percentage of people who don't seem to even understand that bit, but the person that comes in, McInnes's great strength was nothing to do with the way the team played, nothing tactical. It was purely standard set and man management and getting the most out of a certain group of players and identifying the kind of characters. And this is one of the reasons that the team has been so fun to, to follow for the last few seasons is the characters have been there and the team's had a bit of... Now, not, not playing identity. I mean, now it's just hoof the ball and chase it. But it's been players who win and putting in that winning mentality and that determined mentality, even though it's hit a ceiling. I think in terms of who comes in next... Um, <sighs> It's got to be someone who has that same ability to identify winning characters because that, that's basically been what's kept Aberdeen so high up is having players like um, future captains, basically, like Shinny, McLean, um, even getting McKenna brought through, the kind of player that you needed to have. And you had Mark Reynolds, uh, Mikey Devlin came in and was good for a while. You know, these sorts of players, not all of them have hit and not all those transfers have been, have been great. I mean, a good few of them haven't worked, but it's difficult in the market that they work in. And the scouting network's very small. I think so whoever comes in, so that's one of my points, whoever comes in, I think they should just totally reboot how the scouting's done. They've got big tie-ins with Atlanta, so there's surely scope to be able to do that and identify players in different leagues who are mixed in with these future captains that you buy in to take the club to another level. You've got to identify those kind of players. So there's got to be good man management. I think someone who can vary tactically and adapt to opposition man to how different teams play I really like Stephen Robinson and I think he'd be great my one concern with Robinson is how he took Motherwell to third season before and they played lovely football and then this season that same sort of football did not work and it took so long for them to come back it'd be various reasons for it but you look at what's happened to Motherwell um, and they should be fine this season but that's you can maybe worry about that and after a, like a, a dynasty, like what McInnes has put in Aberdeen, you look at Wenger and Ferguson down in England, when one of those managers goes away, it can often fall apart very quickly because everything's built in their image. So I was looking at managers I'd actually want to get in. Stephen Robinson's on a, like a short list. Uh, Jim Goodwin, would be, who I think would be great, just based on what he's done at St Mirren and the way they play, the way they've adapted and the limited players he's had and the recruitment he's done. But I want someone who's young and hungry and ambitious. Aberdeen, for players... Players who go to Aberdeen should use it almost as a stepping stone to bigger things. And I think you have to accept that. Aberdeen cannot challenge Rangers and Celtic. They can maybe push them, 
some people say that they should be pushing for second. No way. Rangers and Celtic should have that sewn up, but they should at least be demonstrating that they can play and give you a bit of pride in how they do it and uh, and finish well in the Cups. But Cup football is different to league football. Anyway, so someone young who is looking for a bigger job, and I'm talking about people like Darren Fletcher doing their coaching badges, trying to get to the highest pro level. Someone like that who's played at a very high level, knows the kind of standards that like Stephen Gerrard is putting at Rangers. That's what you're looking for. It doesn't matter if... Um, they haven't necessarily managed before, I think. I think that they've got some experience at youth reserve level, like Gerard had. That should be even be enough. Um, and Darren Fletcher applies to that. I think Sean Maloney, if he were interested in going into management, would be an excellent choice. Um, but even... The, uh, I was looking at Danny Cowley. <laughs> so the Cowley brothers, people who aren't familiar with them, they managed in lower leagues in England. They're really young, didn't really play at a high level, and but... They've come through and taken every team they've taken to quite. I think their last job didn't go so well. I used to know more Huddersfield. About that thing, they were at they were at Huddersfield, and to be honest, a lot of Huddersfield fans were quite surprised when they were given the boot. They they thought they, they you know they thought they they'd actually done a really good job. Um, I really like that shout. To be honest, I know the Cowleys quite well. Um, I followed their rise from when they were they were at Concord Rangers um, in like the eighth tier of English football, and then they went to Braintree in the National League took yeah. them to levels that you would never imagine. That's like taking Hamilton to second. Uh, that's the kind of job that they did with, with Braintree. That's a, a really interesting one, and he always works I, with his brother. Uh, yeah. The reason I think that someone that might be interested is that the Scottish Premiership is such a window just now with what Gerrard's done, and everyone's looking at it. If you go in and do a good job there, there's a real opportunity for a manager to do something. The ones who are currently like favourite people like Stephen Glass that link is purely because he's at Atlanta which is obviously tied to, to Aberdeen and because he used to play for the club um, I've no idea if he's a good coach or not I've, I, I don't know and I think, don't think that's enough Paul Lambert's been linked Gordon Strachan never happening um, <laughs> it's just not going to happen I, I was just going to give a kind of perspective of an on Aberdeen fan oh, yeah, looking at, at McInnes I think it's a really good point that JJ made right at the start was that how much McInnes changed Aberdeen when he first went in because of the position they were in at the time. When I first got into football 20 odd years ago, Aberdeen were struggling at the bottom of the table. It was around the time Ebscoffdale was there and they didn't get relegated because was at the time they brought in the, the 12 teams that they, they brought St Mirren and Dunfermline up to the top yeah. flight. And there was that thing with Falkirk um, in the small stadium. Yeah, yeah so yeah, there's yeah, been yeah. reasons why Aberdeen have escaped relegation in the past. Um, so growing up for me, Aberdeen were always a struggling team. Um, they were never the side that they are now. Um, so I think that's interesting because I think it's easy for even myself, who has grown up with that, to think of Aberdeen as this big club, this big team that have been involved up the top end, around the European spot, fighting for kind of second place. So you've got to remember McInnes did that, and I think that's really important. On the flip side of that, though, and this is where I've always kind of had the, the issue with why does he not challenge more? And I know it's a, a age or age long argument I've had with JJ over the finances <laughs> and everything. But one thing I'll remember as an outsider is he only brought one piece of silverware to the club in his entire time. And that was right at the start of his, his tenure at Aberdeen. So what has happened in the last seven odd years? Why no real challenge when like the likes of Rangers been out of the league? Why no real challenge in the cups? Okay, I, I, I say challenge, that's, that's harsh considering they got to cup finals. Yeah, um, but to only nice. come back with one piece of silverware, I think will be disappointing. Um, I I think I, from the outside looking in, I would think, well, if I was a supporter of that club, I would be quite disappointed with that. I feel like sometimes they've kind of slept walked to the European spot. I, I kind of did touch that, kind of got lucky sometimes. It also, 
on the flip side, unlucky to miss out sometimes as well. I think back to the, the time when Motherwell scored in the last minute. Was it 2014 up at Pataudry to miss out on the, the, the Champions oh, League spot, was it? the keeper. Yeah, yeah, I remember that oh. one. Yeah. Oh, you're better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that was, that one was uh, yeah, that was a moment to remember that one well. So I think there, there are definitely, you've got to remember what McInnes did to turn things around, but I yeah. don't think he is the all-round perfect manager who has um, achieved all sorts at Aberdeen. I think there's still reasons to, to be kind of critical of that sense. I think even like the going into every Celtic game knowing that the Celtic were going to win. Uh, it came out a kind of joke towards the end um, that they didn't really kind of turn up sometimes on the bigger days, uh, the, the bigger the bigger challenges. So there, there's definitely flip sides to that. Um, I think personally, he stayed maybe a season too long and that's maybe affected his reputation um, in the long term because of what you're seeing with performances this season and tactics have just been a bit lacklustre and, and disappointing. But overall, definitely a success for the club. Definitely. I believe that is a very good summary. Let's move on. <laughs> Laura smashed it. Let's go. To, to finish off, uh, amazingly, what has happened, uh, Pai and Bovril have brought our attention to it. Uh, the longest serving manager in the Premiership now is Stephen Gerrard. Uh, so let's find out how his weekend went. Pep, what do you think of the risks of players taking part in fantasy football? I, uh, I, I think that... Uh... <laughs> Fantasy football? What is this uh, fantasy football? And Man City win the treble again with an incredible goal for Erling Haaland, who's just signed a 10-year contract with Man City. He said what sealed it was the long, flowing locks of manager Pep Guardiola. Look at him there on the sidelines, his hair cascading down over his shoulders. Oh. Uh, next question? That's one sort of fantasy football, Pep. Paddy Power. 18 plus Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. And that is that at Tannadice. But it's not about Dundee United and Celtic now, it's about Rangers. The day has come, the day is here, the wait is over. Rangers are champions of Scotland. Let's move on now to the crowning of Rangers as champions of Scotland for the first time in a decade. Stephen Gerrard's side won 3-0 against St Mirren on Saturday to all but mathematically confirm the title. Their 55th championship became official after Celtic's goalless draw at Dundee United on Sunday. So we're joined now by a friend of the show and Rangers fan, a man who was popping bottles on Sunday. It's Finn Marks. Hello. Are you are you feeling better than Alan McGregor was the other day? <laughs> uh, probably just slightly better than Alan McGregor, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm feeling good, just very tired. I, I don't think I've really slept at all since Saturday, but yeah, not feeling good. Good for you, good for you. I mean, this is uh, Stephen Gerrard's always going to be remembered for the man who stopped... Uh, ten in a row, um, and they've they've stuck by him w- when things weren't always great. Yeah, I mean, do you know, honestly, it 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 was never really about stopping Celtic's ten in a row. I I think that's just a, a kind of happy byproduct for many Rangers fans about winning the league this season. But um, I, I, it's Come more on. about no, honestly, <laughs> genuinely, <clears throat> I I think for for Rangers fans, it's it's more the fact that winning the title. Uh, like this first league title back in the top flight for many Rangers fans and myself included it it kind of signifies this end point to a journey that started you know with the ball in the hedge at Brechin in 2012 <laughs> um, and I think just uh, you know on Gerrard 
even though it hasn't always been plain sailing. I think right from the outset, you could see that there was a plan, you know, a system and a style of play that he wanted his team to play, coupled with that drive and determination that served him so well as a player. Um, and it, it was a long-term plan. You know, the board were committed to giving him the three to four years he felt it would take. Um, so they deserve a lot of credit for that too. You know, patience isn't something you often see uh, either side of the old firm. But I, I, on a personal level, for for me as well, there's a real delight in in the personal stories that Rangers winning the title delivers too. You know, you look at someone like Connor Goldson, who lost almost 18 months of his career to a heart defect whilst he was at Brighton, didn't know how much of a career he'd ever safely get back to. And he's now become the quickest player ever to reach 150 appearances for Rangers. And he's been the rock that... This, the defence has been built around. You look at Jermaine Defoe, has had a very distinguished career. He said that he came to Rangers to win a title and now at the ripe old age of 38, he's achieved that for the first time in his career. And and James Tavenier, who has literally been through it all with Rangers in the last six years, including you know various pastings from Celtic, cup final defeats, literally being labelled a serial loser in the press. And now he's had the season of his of his life and he'll lift the championship trophy in a few weeks. We've we've just come off the back of speaking about um, Derek McInnes leaving Aberdeen, and but when he came in, he brought a respectability back to the club. Um, Steven Gerrard is undeniably a man who's done that with Rangers, bringing them straight to the top, not just in domestic terms, but in Europe as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that, you know, whenever Gerrard goes, I think that's what the Rangers fans will, will remember most was, um, the style of play that he's brought I think he's brought a lot of pride back um, for Rangers fans in the club um, n- not just for for the domestic success in, in, in delivering a title but you're absolutely right The I mean, thinking back even under someone like Walter Smith um, I don't think Rangers fans could ever say they were ever confident of uh, going into a European match um, and that's despite getting to you know a European final but now watching Gerard teams in Europe, you kind of expect Rangers to do something, and um, it's. I think it's kind of it's kind of put not just Rangers but Scottish football back on the map a little bit because I think that is the that's the litmus test, right? You know, for a successful team is how they compete um, in in the bigger competitions, and I think Rangers can be quite proud of their achievements uh, in in Europe under Gerard. Finn, talk to me about the, the, the fans that, that gathered at Ibrox and again at the training ground the following day. Um, I, I think there's a lot of kind of arguments on both sides for this, but firstly, how did you feel watching that and not being in that um, in, in terms of just in general, in normal times? Would you have liked to have been part of those celebrations? And then also, what did you think in terms of it breaking lockdown rules and all, all, all such like? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not great, is it? I, I think... It, it was a a really peculiar kind of 24 hours for it. I, to be honest, I, w- I was actually quite taken aback, I think, by the, the level of political grandstanding um, that certain sectors took in um, using those crowds. But, but that's not really an issue to get into here. So um, I think, you know, whilst it isn't right, of course it isn't. I think as football fans, you, you can kind of sympathise with that explosion of joy and celebration that comes with a significant victory. We all felt it when Scotland, you know, managed to get past Serbia to qualify for the Euros. We we saw it a few weeks ago with the St. Johnson fans doing a similar kind of thing after their team won the, the League Cup. Um, and I'm not for one moment saying that it 
condones the behaviour of Rangers fans because St Johnson fans did it or Liverpool fans did it last season or you know Celtic fans have protested at, at various points in the season no one should be out in mass crowds um, and that, that's kind of really all there is, is to that um, I think yeah you're saying like would you want to be in there of course you would like you um, you want to be around other people um, that that are celebrating too like that's that's the joy of it and that's why it's been so hard watching you know things like Scotland qualifying for the Euros and and, and not being able to to be around uh, other fans like watching it on Zoom or FaceTiming people or whatever um, it doesn't temper the joy though uh, it's still um, something really fun to celebrate um, but yeah the, just in terms of of the scenes that we saw I, there's there's no way that you can possibly really condone it yeah. See, see, even regardless of when you take away the COVID argument of it, um, and whether you agree it's right or wrong or not, you can't deny that some of the shots were <laughs> amazing to see the, the the smoke bombs and the pyro and some of the, the photographs from it. It's made me really miss supporters even more so than I did before. I just think some of the scenes, it's so unfortunate it's come surrounded with such a negativity around it because in normal times, I think you'd really appreciate just the spectacle of the whole thing. Mm. I think so, and it's just. But I mean, Rangers fans aren't aren't unique in that. Like you're saying, it's it's uh, it's all fans. You know, we, I think we've just passed the one year anniversary, haven't we? Of you know, supporters being allowed into grounds in Scotland, and we're all just desperate to get back to that normality and that atmosphere. And I I, I think you saw it as well. It's not just from the fan side, but it's from the players as well. I think you know, at the end of the the. Um, the St Mirren game, they all kind of ran into the corner to the fence where the fans were outside. I think there's something uh, difficult even from the playing side to hold back from those kind of celebrations because of how much has gone in to to this season from the playing side as well. It's like being in prison after the talks of the plexiglass or something. Yeah. You get one phone call. <laughs> oh, come on, you lads! Uh, that was it. <laughs> Not great to see, but great to see it's, it's a really really odd one it's just hard it's really really hard um but let's let's focus again on Gerard because there's plenty of media that are going to be talking about how long he's going to be staying at Rangers mm-hmm. um after the job he's done there what what do you think because obviously we've just seen that Wackham Lowe is going to be leaving Germany um mm-hmm. in the summer then the rumors will go from Klopp going to Germany then the rumors will come Gerard going to Liverpool yeah I mean, I don't think Rangers fans are under any illusion that Gerard will be at Rangers forever. Personally, I, I don't know if he will leave in the summer, even if the Liverpool job does come up, which again, is that's it's a lot of ifs, ands or buts, because um, I'm not too sure Klopp feels like he's quite done there as well, regardless of how disappointing a season it's been for Liverpool. Um, but there was something quite interesting Gerard said in his post-match after the St Mirren game on Saturday, where he said that... Um, He's got a feeling that he wants more. And, you know, next season, uh, he's still got a couple of years in his contract, first and foremost. But next season, you know, he gets the chance to to have a go at the Champions League with this team that he's assembled. Um, he's got the chance to potentially win more silverware. Cause I, I don't know if Celtic will be able to bounce back straight away from the job that's there. So I think they're in a really good position going forward now. Um, it's not just about winning the title this season but it's about the bigger picture going forward and I think Gerard he's kind of earned the right to 
to be able to go through the next couple of years, I think. And for as long as he wants to be there, I think he'll he'll stay at Rangers. And I think that could be for another couple of seasons. Shouldn't forget as well that there's still loads to play for um, before the season finishes as well. Still unbeaten. Uh, could still also reach the same points tally that um, or points record that Celtic did um, in 2016-17 uh, and still Europe to play for. Yeah, exactly. There's just there's so much still to play for, and it'll be interesting to see how um, how the the Rangers squad squads kind of uh, cope with that. Because I think we saw, you know, we were making a joke about Alan McGregor and the way that he looked slightly <laughs> worse for wear the other day. It'll be interesting to see how they get on on Thursday. But I think because the pressure of the league titles now off, they can um, they can confidently go into these games as you know champions. Uh, and I I don't see that there's there's any reason to fear um you know the games against Slavia Prague or or what comes after that there's obviously you know the the news that the Scottish Cup is coming back so there's still trophies to play for and still their pride and those records to chase in the league so yeah there's a, there's a lot still to do and i think just from from the way that you've seen how relentlessly rangers have gone about the pursuit of the title this season i don't think the coaching staff and gerard will allow the playing squads to kind of take their foot off off the pedal You can hear Finn and many more on a special Beyond the Headline podcast from The Athletic about this Rangers title triumph. That's coming out in the next week or so, I think. Um, but let's let's stay with, with Rangers, guys. I mean, it's not it's not just how good they are up front. They are smashing defensive records as well. I mean, after, what is it? Nine goals conceded this season is just ridiculous, JJ. It's unreal. And we've heard from Finn um, how Connor Goldson's been at the bedrock of that. He's played every game. Yeah, there's um, there's a really good article in The Athletic, actually, um, Jordan Campbell wrote, uh, which if you're interested in how Steven Gerrard has done it, and, well, I say how Michael Beale has had a huge input mm. in the tactical setup of the team. Like, Gerrard's gone in and, and told Beale how he wants the team to look, and uh, and Beale has gone about making it look like that on the training ground. He takes charge of most of the training, and Gerrard kind of sets the standards. Uh, yeah, they've done everything very, very well to such a high standard. It's really impressive from the entire coaching staff. Um, just totally deserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Goldson for Player of the Year. I don't know. I think Ryan Jack's yeah. one of the most important players. I think he's been absolutely brilliant under Gerard. He has, yeah. but Gold, I, th- I just think because Goldson has played every game, yeah. it's just it's just amazing um, and a great story. Like Finn said, Laura, how's, how? What do you think? I heard a stat the other day where they were saying that. Rangers haven't conceded a single goal this season through a defensive error. I think that is mm. incredible to get to this stage of the season and no defender or anyone for that matter has put a foot wrong to such an extent that it has led to a goal. That is some achievement. So in terms of defensively, they've done amazingly. I mean, you look at, we were talking about Tavernier and how outstanding he was before his injury, saying how could he possibly not win player of the year? It's, he's so far in front and then mm-hmm. for him to and I don't even know if, if we'd still be having this conversation if he was um, out injured or not but for them to have other players around him like you're talking about Goldson to then come up and also be in contention for that place it's, it just shows just how incredible they are throughout their, their starting 11 or their squad in general they are yeah. so strong so so strong and to have that depth as well they've, they've had players even like I mean off the top of my head Arfield who was getting written off as past it at a certain stage, saying, right, he's kind of winding down his career at this time. And OK, he's not started every game um, and he's been qu- quite often coming off the bench. He has still made 
an outstanding input, despite that, despite not being a 90-minute player regularly. Fantastic throughout the entire squad they've been, and even up front as well. So they've scored 77 league goals this season, which is more than any other team in the world. Hmm. I, I don't think that's something to be scoffed at. I is mean, that right? That is, that is, that's insane. That's something that us as Scottish football in general should be shouting about. That if we are standing out in terms of other clubs around the entire world, shout about that because that is a fantastic achievement for them. Uh, it's amazing. It, it's we should also make a because obviously they played St Mirren, but I'll, I'll we mentioned for uh, St Mirren's Dylan Reid who came off the bench and he became the club's youngest ever player at sixteen years old and five days. Um, he was only fifteen. A fortnight ago, it's uh, absolutely mental. class. Uh, That's <laughs> them getting getting Rowingi for the Scottish League Cup semi as well. I think because so. that, that that could be what stops them getting the triple or quadruple if they were to win the Europa League as well. Obviously, in terms of Celtic, they they could have delayed the title party if they had won on Sunday. It was nil nil between them and Dundee United, mm-hmm. and it just begs the the question that they they must put in a huge performance not next weekend, but the weekend after, um, against Rangers, who will be champions. I doubt there'll be a guard of honour, though, Laura. (laughs) No, I think, first and foremost, they've avoided something that would have been quite terrible in terms of history. Um, I think Celtic wanted (laughs) definitely... (laughs) I think they'll definitely have wanted to avoid letting Rangers stop the 10 at Celtic Park, because could you imagine that the celebratory photos in their home. That is something that would have followed them forever. Um, And it would have been something that Rangers fans would have gloated about forever. So firstly, this result on Sunday is probably, from a Celtic perspective, in the long term, the best possible thing that could have happened for them. Um, In terms of a guard of honour, no, I'm not expecting that at all. Um, I did see that somebody was uh, reminding everyone that Neil Lennon said that Rangers should have given Celtic a guard of honour when they won the league a couple of years back and then played Rangers immediately after. Um, so, you know, um, if that's the opinion of Celtic, then why not do it for Rangers? Uh, but no, in all seriousness, um, I do not think that's going to happen uh, at all. This, it's a rivalry. I don't see any issue with it. I think it, people talk about respect and all that. See when, see when we play England? We boo the national anthem and you can argue all day about respect, but it's a rivalry at the end of the day and this is your biggest rivals and it's a competition. So I don't I don't have an issue with that. In terms of the actual football though, yes, they'll have a, a big point to prove. Um, I don't, it's not going to do anything in the long run. Um, it's not going to make any difference to their season. The points tally, the, the reputation they've had from the season that's came off of the back of everything. But for pride alone, they'll want to send a big message out. To say, I don't boo the national anthem. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I not everyone is not quite so xenophobic, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, Dundee United, one of the reasons they uh, held Celtic to an L draw, Benjamin Segrist, who's been excellent this se- season, in my point of view. Um, I just wonder if he'll be there next season, uh, JJ, because he's, he's just been so good. Yeah, that's the reason they didn't score. Benjamin Segrist was good in goal. Also, they are rubbish, they were <laughs> not good. Missing loads of chances. They just look like a real beaten team, don't they, Celtic? Um, Segrist. I mean, Dundee United, any good team in the Premiership will struggle to keep hold of good players in the summer, especially because a lot of them will be short of money because they haven't had fans in all season long. So um, I don't think Dundee United will be any different. 
but yeah, he has been particularly. He's been one of the standouts this season. Actually, if you're looking at, um, we did one of those like starting lineups from across the league as in best player of the yeah. of the year. But from one each, he'd probably be the Dundee United player who gets in. Possibly, possibly. Um, after a quick break, let's talk about a massive weekend at the bottom of the Premiership. Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Saturday saw the meeting of Ross County and Kilmarnock, who JJ called the worst two teams in the division on last weekend's podcast. Spurred on by those words, the Staggies were 3-2 winners in a frantic match in Dingwall. Kilmarnock finished third in 2019 when Steve Clark, who's a very good manager, um, but now they're bottom of the table. They've been in this division for almost 30 years. Only Celtic, Aberdeen and Motherwell have been in the league longer than 28 years it is for Kilmarnock. And it would be an absolute disaster, Laura, for Kilmarnock to go down. But it's a real possibility. It'd be an absolute disaster, from, but from a completely selfish point of view, in a Motherwell hat here, um, nah. I, I wouldn't be crying over it. <laughs> Someone's got to take the flak, and right now Kelly are below Motherwell. So I'm sorry, but if that's the way it has to be, Bye bye. Someone has to go down. <laughs> um, my heart will not be breaking if it's Kelly because that means that it's probably most likely Mother will have avoided it. Oh, but, but yeah. it's a great. It's so been up here for so long. Yeah. They are a Premiership team. No, um, you're right. You're right. And they did. They had the playoff final. Obviously, was it five years ago now? Jesus, it feels like. I can't believe that's been five years um, against I mean, Falkirk. last week feels like five years ago, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they had that playoff fight against Falkirk, and I think at the time everyone also agreed, look, Kelly are the, the Premiership team here. It would be very strange not to have them in the division. There are probably teams you would choose long before Kelly in terms of not being a Premiership side, if that's how you want to refer to them. But they've been struggling. They're there on, I know it's a weird way to say it, but they're there on merit. Um, they haven't deserved to be high up the table because of results and performances. And surprisingly, Tommy Wright has struggled a wee bit since he's come in. Um, I didn't think he would take this long to get started. Um, Ten games without a win, I can't remember exactly how many of them are with Tommy Wright in charge, but when he did his, he did his first game against Motherwell, Motherwell didn't play well in that game, but won the game. Um, so... From a Motherwell perspective, great grinding out results against the odds when it didn't necessarily deserve them. But I said at that point that Tommy Wright, that was one game in and he's already shown signs of a good performance and deserving ones. So he's, he's going to find his feet and he's going to get the points. And it's, they shouldn't worry. It's taken a bit of time though. That's been quite a few weeks now. And it must be a concern that they're still having these problems. When is it going to turn around for them? Yeah, five of those games, Laura, um... I've been under Tommy Wright, who, who said there was absolutely no positives um, at the weekend. Um, and it always seemed like for Kilmarnock, it was the, their issue this season was scoring goals. Kabamba's never been a top goal scorer. Eamon Brophy didn't really um, get much support this season and, and ended up leaving. But it now looks like defensively, JJ, when you look at um, Ross County's goals, they're pretty bad <laughs> you can't really say anything else they're, they're, they're avoidable but they're not avoidable when you're completely out of position oh yeah I mean this this game is weird Like so Wright says there was no positives from this game you can if you even look at just the goals you can probably see what he's talking about come on it look like a team who are just desperate for the season to be over like they mm. cannot be arsed going through with it because it's 
the amount of energy they need to be able to play in this kind of defensive system and block everything and break it down. And the problem they have had has been the same for the, the whole season. They can't create or score goals unless Chris Burke does something. They don't. They don't create anything. Um, you've gone to various players like Rory McKenzie, Greg Kilty sometimes pop up with something. Uh, if they don't have the very basics of fighting around in the middle of the pitch, then they can't really justify hitting it long and looking for teams that it's, there's just no control of the game it's it, mm. looking you know looking for early long passes but then they're not following up with real intent and desire to kind of follow up and like you said the goals were not great like the xg of the game says it was basically a draw but it doesn't really tell you much in this game because like carl lafferty was kilmarnock's best player he was the one that scored for ross county good i don't think they even were I don't know. It's, it's really worrying for Kelly because this kind of this could be what is it? Laura said, Mamila, uh, this could be quite terrible in terms of their history. And uh, <laughs> if they were, if they keep going like this, like, absolutely they'll go down. Because at the moment, Kelly are probably the worst. Them and Ross County, I still think they're the, the two worst teams in the division at the moment. Um, but at least Ross County, Ross County play with a bit more kind of. I don't know. It's just uh, to turn into like. Graham Sooners for a minute just wanted it more do you know it, mm-hmm. it just seems a bit like that and sometimes that's all you need in football there's so many, so many tactical systems you can try and Wright tried a few different shapes it was basically a diamond the entire time but he changed it from a back three to a back four later on and he doesn't have much time to get it right and he doesn't really have players who are either in form or look capable of getting out of it it's, it's difficult, it's difficult. It might, they might be okay but they also might not I don't know I don't know let's move on <laughs> the, the, well the, th- the, the thing for me is that they're not picking up points against the teams that are in and around them um, and you see Hamilton that pick up you know a, a, a filthy nil-nil draw typically at, at Pataudry it's all full of nil-nils up there um, yeah. but that's the thing like Kamarnock just aren't picking up any points it's just it's so bad um, that I don't. I feel like you look at the contrast of both managers at the weekend. Uh, Yogi Hughes, who kind of always you know asks for energy uh, and and talks positively uh, about his team than maybe Tommy Wright is, who's maybe a bit dour and more looked at as a defensive sided manager. And if he's a defensive sided manager and Kamanaka shipping goals like that, I'd be utterly terrified about the, the run-in uh, to the end of the season. Well, yeah, if you don't offer a threat on the counter, you can't really defend like that because you just don't create anything. All you do is cancel every game and get nil-nils. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, the big one coming up before the split, when obviously everyone plays the teams around them after the split, is actually next, not obviously not this weekend coming because of the weekend off, the following weekend, um, Motherwell are playing Kamarnock. Mm. I think that's a huge one because I think, um, without making it mathematical, but a win for Motherwell would go a huge distance in terms of securing safety. Whereas, in the opposite hand, Kelly are really in trouble if a team that are so close to them in the table are taking points off them before the split. They're really, really in, in trouble because that's opened up such a gap. Yeah, only one defeat in six for Hamilton as well. They're getting some serious momentum, um, something lacking for Kilmarnock. Up next, though, the race for the top six. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Time now to hear first from our friends Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Charlie. Charlie, we do have a couple of Premiership games coming up this weekend. 
Yep, Livingston host Hamilton at the Tony Macaroni. Martindale, the Messiah, has had a tough few weeks, but they can secure a top six finish if they avoid defeat on Saturday. Paddy Power make Levy favourites at 2-1 to one on, though. The draw, which Hamilton have done a lot recently, is 14-5. to five. Also on Saturday, Ross County face Hibbs. Yogi Hughes looking to win for the second time this season against his old club. But Paddy Power don't fancy his chances with Jack Ross, must refer to him by his full name, favourite to dance out of Dingwall with three points at odds of three to four. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only and T's and C's apply. And when the fun stop, Laura... You stop. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about another goal fest. Motherwell 3 1 Livingston at Fur Park. I've given that really weirdly. Motherwell 3 1 Livingston. I love that. <laughs> Motherwell 3 Livingston 1 at Fur Park. Um, there you go. Seven goals in 12 games for Devante Cole, Laura. Where the hell has this came from? Graham Alexander's unlocked the, the key to Cole's Pandora box, which is full of goals. <laughs> oh, it's all happening at the right time. <laughs> yeah. What a it's performance, good. so two goals oh, and an assist. What I mean, in general, what a performance from the, the team two games in a row now. Um, I would arguably say they are the two best performances of the season. Uh, it's, it's, it's been good. Um, it's good to see that kind of picking up some form of consistency um, after the, the two horrible defeats at Fur Park I was going to say earlier in the month last month now um, to be able to turn it around and get 7 points out of 9 has been a, a good couple of weeks um, for Motherwell yeah Devante Cole brilliant he's playing more through the middle as opposed to kind of wide of the 3 and I think it's really helped him he's, he's grown in confidence he's been involved in absolutely everything whether it's putting the ball in the back of the net himself or setting up chances as well so he's really hit some form I think he's not the only one though. We've we've seen Robbie Crawford, um, who who initially came in as as cover. Um, he's really settled into that starting eleven and found some form as well to be such a key player, uh, one of the best actually. Uh, standouts from last month over the the kind of long hard run we had. I think we're we're seeing the payoff of um, putting faith in Barry Maguire, who's never really had a run in the, the starting eleven before. He's kind of been in out off the bench, never really been a starting a mainstay in the starting lineup. I think we're seeing the rewards of that now as well. Um, Jordan Roberts has obviously he's come in in January. He's kind of finding his feet as well. I think he's one of out of the starting eleven. That, I mean, Graham Alexander's not changed starting eleven um, in the last few games. Out of the eleven, he's the only one that he's signed. I think it is um, since he came in. So that's really his player that he's been able to mould the way he wants. And I think another standout is Ricky Lamy as well. Um, at the start of the season, he was playing as kind of cover at left back. It's not really his role. We've kind of seen him struggle there. But since he's moved into the central position, he's really come into himself as well. He is so reliable. Um, there was times more so in the Hibs game towards the end when they were playing balls into the box. And it just felt like every time the ball went into the box, there's Ricky heading it away. Header, header, header. There we go. There's, there's Ricky Lamy. So solid and reliable at the back. And that move into central defence has, has transformed him. Um, so it's coming at a right time when everyone's sort of clicking and finding their feet. And I think a lot of that comes from confidence, from positivity, but also points breeds points. So it's a kind of chicken and egg scenario. And as soon as you start getting points on the board, you will 
naturally gain more because of the confidence that comes with it. It, it must feel more like relief, though, uh, that these performances are coming at this stage in the season when, you know, a few months ago, uh, you know, you thought Motherwell might have been in a relegation battle. I, I mean, to be honest, still do think that. Not yeah, safe at all. Um, yeah. Definitely not out of it yet. And I don't think we can let that mentality seep in that we're, we're just because two, two wins suddenly, it's there's safety there. Um, it's definitely clicking all at the right time. Uh, I think also um, a big part of that is is Liam Kelly as well um, in, in goals. See the difference you have when you've got strength between the sticks. Mm. To have your back line know that you can rely on somebody behind you that has that sort of stature. Um, he's been pulling off fantastic saves. Saves, balls that he's seen at the very last second. Um, he's been pulling off saves and... And I don't want to sound like I'm only touting model players for Scotland, but in a realistic sense, he has got to be able to shout to be in the Scotland squad for the, the games later this month. Even if it's just a third choice goalkeeper just to be involved in that setup, I think he's, despite model being low on the table, mm. he's been an outstanding candidate and he's. I think he'd really have earned his place if that's the case. Well, Kelly's old team, Livingston, um, now five games without a win. Four defeats in that time. Martindale was pretty livid uh, in his post-match interview saying that uh, the defending was criminal. But you see, I just wonder if their season you know, seems to be running out of steam after the League Cup final. It's obviously hard, JJ, to have a, a, a big disappointment like that uh, to then try and... Well, they're still within a shout of the top six, though, but it's it's been a, yeah, yeah. quite a big dip. Well, I, honestly, I thought this might happen when I watched the Cup final. What I could see from Livingston... Is the kind of team that really needs to keep up this relentless momentum and intensity in order for that style of football to work. And if you don't have that, I mean, that's basically the football is like intense. So that's our identity. They come up to you and you know you're going to get a real hard game, really aggressive, not in terms of punching people, but in terms of the way they hunt the ball down and don't give you a second on the ball to get, like you have possession. They launch it, when I say launch it, they play direct football, it's very vertical. That's what they want to do, get the ball forward, get the can, so it's in the opposition half. That means that they don't have to defend so much, so they're basically defending by attacking, but they don't have much control over the ball, and the way they control the game is by just hunting them down like those little tiny dinosaurs in Jurassic Park 2, you know, on the beach. <laughs> Loads of them, they're all running around. So like that, except big. Uh, this analogy has gone uh, badly. So what I do mean <laughs> is, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just let it run out of intensity and, and it's the kind of thing you see and it's it's like a, all teams that rely on that, it's it's kind of, once you get some sort of dunt in the side of the face and it knocks you off balance, it's very hard to get back on that, uh, this analogy is all over the place, back on that track that they were on, There's, the train is wobbling all over the place, full of dinosaurs and it's not going where they wanted to get. Whereas I think St. Johnston, the way that they played in that uh, League Cup was more controlled and composed and when everything's chaotic around them, they've got greater control of it. Sure enough, it means that they can be done in by a team like Livingston sometimes, who go in, you know, full intensity at them, and you just can't really escape it. But you saw, I mean, St. Johnston just beat Hibs 1-0 um, at the weekend, which puts them right on track to finish in the top six as well. And I think mm-hmm. the way they're playing is, I don't know, their manager seems to be quite calm and maybe more encouraging, whereas Martindale demands high standards. Not to say one is better than the other. Uh, but yeah, certainly that seems to have worked well for them in the weekend. Let's talk about the St Johnston game then. Then JJ, like you say, they they beat Hibs one 0 I know, um, but a great strike from Liam Craig. Um, I know he scored an absolute belter in the opening game of the season against Dundee United. But uh, a great seven days 
for Liam Craig, picking up his first trophy as a player, and then a good a good win for St Johnston, considering I think they didn't play too great in this game. Uh, no, and I mean again, like underlying stats say that Hibs were the better team, but uh, maybe St Johnston are doing that thing that like McInnes once did at Aberdeen, yeah. where they have that they get over the line somehow. They don't have to play particularly well, but they can beat you even if the other team has more chances. It's they very just, difficult they, to work them out. Yeah, it's, it's hard to work them out, but I, I did see how deep St Johnston were. They seemed quite comfortable to just take the pressure on. Um, whereas Hibs, you know, I, they've they've struggled in the in the recent few weeks. Uh, and I look at someone like Kevin Nisbet. He gets his first start uh, with the club um, after handing in a transfer request on deadline day. He's been on the bench for the previous five games, and you know. He had a tough day, and funnily enough, I wonder if Liam Craig could have got sent off for that challenge uh, when Nisbet was almost clean through. Probably not. I think he got the ball. Nisbet was so good in the earlier part of the season, regardless of handing in a transfer request. It's not that he did that, that he's not been playing, right? I know you won't know, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Have Hibs shot themselves in the foot by not playing him, you know? He was the top goal scorer in the... the in the league for for a good while, it was excellent. Yeah, well, maybe like that old cliche of, you know, you want players who are desperate to play for the club because you'll get better performances out of them. Perhaps it's Ross just sort of planning for the future. If he puts in the team now, he knows what's going to happen next season because Nisbet will probably be away. Who knows why he's not been playing? Might be things behind the scenes why he needed a rest or something like that. Perhaps. I don't quite know. However, Hibs, they just keep kind of controlling games but not finishing them off and it happens to a lot of teams I think especially in Scottish football where if you play that kind of football that I like I've talked this, I talked about this before you keep the ball and you pass it and try and open up teams that way I mean you'll create a certain amount of chances and if you don't take them you're going to end up just getting beaten by some stupid goal and Craig's goal is not stupid because it's a lovely finish yeah. but he shouldn't have scored from there <laughs> no 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 it should have been defended so. better absolutely um, well yeah Hibs could finish third probably well so Johnston yeah. still within a chance of top six Livingston could actually confirm being top six uh, when they host Hamilton on Saturday so still a lot to play for uh, but that's it from us thanks for listening thanks JJ thanks Laura as well and thanks for joining us Finn I'm sure he wasn't hungover uh, and to the little kicks for our awesome theme song cheers to Charlie for all his great work producing the hell out of us but we'll be back next Tuesday have a great week we'll speak to you then you've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Money Needs Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.